are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening I invite you to turn with me to Genesis. We continue as we go back to the beginning, the beginning of all things. And we find ourselves here even at the beginning of the creation account. This evening, we come to these six days of creation, and we don't actually complete the six days of creation because we're stopping right before we get to uh, creation of man. So we're doing all of these six days except for uh, the second part of day six, which we will come to in the future, Lord willing. But this more or this evening, we will be looking at verses three through 25, 3 through 25. Um, But as I read now God's word, we'll just begin in, in verse 1 and read through verse 25. So hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, 
And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. As we embark on this passage this evening, I have bad news for you. The sermon will almost certainly disappoint many of you. As we read the creation narrative, as we've situated this in the midst of God creating all things, bringing all things out of nothing, as we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, preparing it and doing this great creative work, as we come now to these six days, this very, this very um, familiar story in our day and age, we often hone in on one word here and talk about this, the word day. What is day? What does it mean? I'm sure we have a lot of strong views here of what this is, whether it's a 24-hour day or some indeterminate length of time or something else altogether. But I tell you what, I'm not going in that this evening. We're not going there. I've talked about this a little bit in Sunday school before. If you want to have these conversations, we can. But what I think is happening in this passage is when we often focus just on that one singular issue, we're missing the bigger picture. Now, it's important as we think about what does day mean here. We do need to think about this, but it is not the most important thing about the passage. This account of creation has primarily a theological agenda. It's not first telling us how God made the earth, but that God made it. It's not telling us how God made it, but that God made it. Certainly, there's implications for this, and we'll get into that. Implications for um, our world and, and science and all of that. But this passage is one author has said, John Collins, he's called this passage and all of Genesis 1 and 2, uh, exalted prose. Exalted prose, because you notice that it's not how we would normally speak. It's written in an exalted way, but it is prose. There is a, a structure to it. It's a, it's a sequence of events. It's structured, but yet it's a beautiful description of this incredible work of creation. There's many things we can explore here, many things we can look at. I'm trying to focus on one issue for us to consider this evening. And the one thread I want us to pull on together is that of order. The narrative of the six days of creation highlights the divinely given order to all of creation. So we're going to look first at the display of order, and then second, the implications of order. So we're going to think about this, the order. So first, let's, let's look at the display of order. What do I mean when I say there's order here in this passage? Well, we're going to start micro, and then we're going to go big picture. So first, we're going to look at the, at, at the micro level. And this is really first looking at the literary level here. Uh, God's word is, is literature, and it ought to be looked at in that way. And here, we're primarily looking at the literary repetition of the pattern of each day. It's highly, uh, highly patterned. This is a highly repetitious section, and that's intentional. There's order and meaning in all of the repetition here. And each day follows the same, very closely, almost exactly the same pattern. And it begins with the announcement. All six of these days begin saying, and God said, and God said. Creation comes by divine fiat. By divine command, it's God's word calling into existence. It's bringing order into the world. It is God's word that does that, his speaking. And so the announcement begins, and God said. The next element 
of the, this pattern is the command. What is God going to say? God commands, let there be light, and so forth. God says something. He's calling something to be. And this word-based action of God is not confined here just to creation. As we look through scripture, God's word is not only causing creation, but it is also the author of recreation. So we see here the beginnings, a, a, a parallel between creation and regeneration. Creation and renewal of all things, the same word that creates is the same word that recreates. The same spirit hovering over the waters creating by God's word is the same spirit at work by God's word creating new hearts and planting hearts of flesh and removing hearts of stone. This unparalleled power and authority of God as he commands, because when he commands, the third element here of this pattern is the execution. And God said, let there be light. And the ex ex execution is, there was light. It came to be. God's word was executed immediately on the spot. God said it and it was so. Day one says there was light. Days two, three, four, and six uh, simply say it was so. Instead of repeating the whole command, it says it was so. And day five, in the second half of day six, it says so God created. So all these th three things are, are ways of saying what God commanded came to be. It happened. It was executed. The divine command came to fruition. So after the execution, the fourth element here is the approval. The approval. God looks at that day, all that he created that day, and it says for uh, day one, for example, it says God saw that the light was good. God saw that the light was good, or for the other days, God saw that it was good. There's approval here. It was good. There's a moral goodness to God's creation. It is fitting. His creation is orderly. It is upright. It is beneficial for human living. It is appropriate. And so after God creates each day, he countenances what he created with his approval. It is good every day of God's creation. Creation is good. As we look at our world, the world around us is good the aims of God's creation are right. The purposes God has placed in this world are by design. It was created for a particular purpose and its functions are given in furtherance of that purpose. The world, yes, now is infected by sin and it is decaying and corrupt, but the creation itself is good. And we cannot think that everything visible is bad and, and everything internal and spiritual is good. That is not how God created it. Everything is good. Our bodies are good. The world around us, the creation of God is good, but now has been corrupted by the fall. So we have this fourth element, the approval, the noting it is good, the moral goodness, the uprightness of all creation. Then we come to the fifth element, which is a subsequent word. There's something else is said about each day of creation, whether that's naming Naming something. Verse days one, two, and three or have naming where God calls the day, day. In the darkness, he calls night. There's naming days one, two, and three. There's additional description of purpose on day four. 
It's described what it, what it is for. And then days five and six have a blessing attached to them. So in all these indications, there's a subsequent word that demonstrates God's authority over his creation. Naming, take that for, an ex- for example. Parents, right, when you name your kids. That's a, that's a demonstration or, or, or an example of your authority over children. And we'll see Adam's dominion is exemplified by the dominion, or by the, the call to name all of the animals. But here God is naming all of his creation. He has dominion over it. He's giving purpose, particularly on day four. And it means that, that there's, there's something that has been designed. If God gives it the purpose, it means he's designed it. He can tell it what it's meant for. And then as God blesses, he indicates he is the greater party the one who has the capacity to enact the blessing. All of this shows God's authority and dominion over all of his creation. And then the final element of this pattern, this literary refrain, is there was evening and there was morning, the blank day. It concludes with the statement that the day has come to an end. So all of these elements, the announcement, the command, the execution, the approval, the subsequent word, and then the final concluding refrain, all are packaged six times over and over and over and over. It's showing us there's intentional order here. There's design here, even in the way this is told to us, literarily. And But as we look beyond the literary elements, let's take a step back, look at the creation itself. What kind of order did God put into the world? And that's emphasized here, even within this this literary framework. We see day one, that distinctions are made. Distinctions are made as light and dark are separated from each other. There's order now being brought into the creation with this distinction. Same with day two and day three, these distinctions through separation. Day two, the separation is from waters above and waters below, creating the sky and creating the waters on the earth. There's a separation. Day three, gathering the water in one place and bringing land together. So separating land from water. There's a separation, a distinction here, different places on earth. And in addition to that on day three, God brings forth vegetation and plants giving seed and plants giving fruit. And what what is said about this in verse 11, they're all multiplying according to its kind. There's distinctions. There's kinds There's separate groups and groupings. The apple plants, the apple seeds create apple trees. There's order to everything in creation. There's no cross-pollination between kinds of plant life, but there's multiplication according to its kind. Distinctions are being made. Order is being brought into the tohu vabohu. I snuck it in there again this week the formlessness and the void. And so verse day four, we have more distinctions being made where the sun and the moon and the stars are being put in the heavens. And these are described as being for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Now there's lots of debate what what the particularities of this phrase actually mean. But it's clear for two things here. First, days and years were designed by God for us. They were implanted in creation for the purposes of the flourishing of creation. 
Years are not arbitrary measurements. It just didn't happen to be a year is 365 days and a little bit more circling around the sun. That was designed by God. The length of a day is designed by God. Look at this order that he is putting into this world. So it's clear days and years were designed for us by God. But second, the seasons are very important, particularly for Israel. Now you remember the first five books of the Bible were written together by Moses. I don't know exactly when, probably sometime in the wilderness is when this was given to Israel. Most of it, maybe all of it, came to God, came to Moses while he was on Mount Sinai with God. God gave him instructions, particularly Leviticus was given to God, or given to Moses from God on Mount Sinai. And Leviticus speaks of all the feasts that Israel was to uh, observe, these religious celebrations. The year was marked with, with many feasts, and we've gone through Leviticus in the past and seen these feasts and how they were designed for the spiritual well-being of God's people. And I want to read from Leviticus 23, and we're going to make a connection here uh, back to Genesis 1, where God is talking to Moses here in, Le- in Leviticus 23, verse 2, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. That word appointed feasts is the same word used for seasons here in verse 14. Seasons is the same word for appointed feasts. Really more generically, the term means an appointed time, a time set aside for something certain an appointed time by God. And these appointed times for Israel and Leviticus were feasts. And so God is actually telling Israel who received this in the wilderness, they were being called to celebrate these things. The sun and the moon and the stars are put in the sky so that you will know when to worship me, when to celebrate these feasts, when during the course of the year you are to come and and, and harvest your, your fruit and bring it now to the temple and bring it to celebrate the graciousness of my salvation for you. So even in creation, we see God designing things so that he can use them for his purposes and redemption later. It's a glorious, wonderful truth here that we see even as the sun and the moon and the stars are designed for the good of God's people and really for all of creation. So we're looking at order, order in these days. We're walking through the days. We've finished day four. Let's look at day five. How is God putting order in the universe through this day five? This is where the water animals and the birds were created. And again, we have that, that refrain, according to their kinds. And he's blessing them with this command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. We again see the kinds that are important. Birds mate with Birds and fish reproduce after their own kind. These distinctions are important. The order is being set in our universe. And then day six, we again see living creatures being created according to their kinds. All creatures have various kinds and families that they belong to. And so we see order. Just again, scratching the surface, the order in creation and each of the six days. And I want to take a step back and look at one more element here that shows us the order of creation, how intentionally ordered it is for our well-being. And that is the pattern of the six days taken as a whole. 
And we see in the first three days, God is creating three separate kingdoms. And in the second set of three days, days four, five, and six, God is creating essentially the kings of those kingdoms. Have you ever noticed this? Day one, you have light and dark being created. Day four, the sun and the moon being created to rule the light and the dark. They're created to be the kings of these domains, the kingdoms of light and dark. Day two, we have the sky and the sea being created. And then day five, which corresponds to it, we have birds and fish being created. So God is placing now kings within these domains, these kingdoms of his creation. And then day three, the land is created and plants and vegetation is put on that land. And day six, what do we have? Animals. And then finally, mankind to have dominion over all of this. So it's an amazing thing to see this structural parallel between days one, two, and three, and four, five, and six, highly ordered, highly intentional to show us what a wonderful work God has done. Look at the world he has made, so intentional by our God. Intentionality and order in all of God's creation is on clear display for us. And so as we consider this display of order, it's an intentional construction in this narrative, and it shows us in every way how deliberate and purposeful God was in making and putting all things in order. So the display of order, there's much more. We'll stop there. And I'm two pages of five pages of notes. And so what I'm going to do is something I don't normally do. Um, I had an inkling maybe I'd have to do that, do this. I have four implications of this, and we're going to set three of them aside for next time. We're going to look at one this evening, briefly, that we've looked at, we've looked at before. Um, but as we think of the order in creation, let's consider one implication this evening, that God is supreme. God is supreme. There was no fight anywhere in Genesis 1. There were no controversy or conflict. There's no question, is God going to accomplish his purposes? This is God waltzing through his creation, doing whatever he pleases. One striking instance where we see this at work is verse 16. We see God made two great lights, the greater night to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Now, okay, maybe we read that and think, okay, that's just a, a Hebraic way of speaking of the sun and the moon. But no, Moses is going out of his way to not say the word sun and moon. He could have, and some would say maybe he should have. But what's most likely here is Moses, under the divine inspiration of God, is not naming the sun and moon because in the ancient Near Eastern mindset, sun and moon were deities. They were themselves gods, whether large gods or small gods. And Moses is saying, no, 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 no. These are not gods. These are mere creatures of the God. They are a greater light and a lesser light created by God to rule. But they are not gods themselves. In every other creation narrative, creation is a fight. A fight between good and evil. A fight between order and chaos. But here we have order. Here we have goodness. We have the sovereign God of heaven and earth prevailing upon his creation, doing whatsoever he pleases. There are no rival gods, nobody challenging his authority and supremacy. And in fact, as we read in Job 38 earlier, we have the hosts of heaven, all the heavenly beings that God had created. What are they doing? They're singing for joy. 
They're rejoicing at God's creation on earth. They're watching. They're not fighting him. They're not arguing with him, but they are rejoicing. And what a glorious God he is. There is no hint of conflict because there is one God who rules all things. And yes, we'll get to the fact that evil infiltrates this creation. But here we see the pristine glory of God on display. And this doesn't feel right because I haven't wrapped it up the way I want to wrap it up, but we're going to put, push pause here. So I think in two weeks, we'll pick this up and, move and start from here. A little recap, I'm sure. But let's consider the order that God has put in this world and what it says about who he is. A God of order, a God with all power on heaven and earth, a God who is good and has made this good creation. And so you and I, we can turn to this God and honor and glorify, glorify him and praise him. So let's meditate on these things as we wait part two in coming weeks. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.